Welcome to the Playbook for Results, getting a grip on growing your business podcast. If you're looking for coaching and content proven to get you and your team to the top of their game, you've come to the right place. Grab your team or huddle with them after the podcast and get ready for your host and his invited guests to get you out of your comfort zone and into the growth zone. And now, here is your host, Edward Preston, VP of Revenue Creation, and Caesar Cavadoy, CEO of Playbook for Results. All right, get ready to be informed and transformed by your virtual coaching and value creation specialists as they set the stage for you to perform at the top of your game. Greetings to all in the land of chaos and opportunity. My name is Edward Preston, a.k.a. EP. It's time to get a grip on reality or at least business, and there's no better place to do just that than right here on getting a grip on growing your business. Today's show is going to pop. We have a great topic in store for you today, sales training versus sales coaching. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I have experienced a variety of sales training styles, programs, and systems in my day. And one common trend with all of them is that they seem to be short-lived, here today, gone tomorrow. And for those of you that soaked up some of these systems or programs or training uh, organizations that come in and they're here for a short period of time, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's just that they don't, they don't give you enough. And some of those that you actually liked, it's kind of like a tease. It's like, where can I get some more of that? But it was just a one-day thing. It was just a one-day conference. Maybe it was something that you were just experiencing for a couple of days. Or the other one where you actually have an annual sales training. You know the one I'm talking about. They call it, uh, oh yeah, sales kickoff. These tend to fall into the here today, gone tomorrow category, right? We'll see you next year and we'll start talking about what we talked about last year and we got something new to talk about this year. What's the problem with all that, guys? Problem is that you just don't have anything that's continuous and it's kind of like fades away. So friends, today we are going to break down the difference between sales training and sales coaching. And we're going to discover if either one is really worth your time as a sales leader to consider for your sales organization. And if either one is worth your time to consider sharpening your sales skills for the better, if you're a sales professional. And to help me break down some of these walls and drive through to the truth, my co-pilot today helping me keep this bird a thousand feet above the deck is the one and only Mr. Caesar Cavadoy. Caesar, how are you, man? Hey, EP. What's been happening, man? It's uh, been a couple of weeks, but it's great to be back here. Absolutely, man. It's been uh, been a few weeks and it feels good to be back in the seat. Caesar, we have uh, an absolute 100% grade A heavyweight champion rock star sales leader with us today on the show. Really excited. Let's get her introduced uh, as well, shall we? Residing in the little big town of Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the sales leader, she spent 37 years at Century. She had various positions there across sales, customer care, and marketing. And for CenturyLink, she experienced something new to her that she says was a really big part of her success over there. She's going to be right here helping us out today. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to Getting a Grip on Growing Your Business, the one and only Susan Hartley. Hello, Susan. Hello, Ricky. Hi, Caesar. Hey, Susan. Great to see you. I'm excited to revisit uh, our past history and to see how our conversation might help leaders listening today to achieve the same or better results that we achieved over our engagement. Sounds great. Yeah, so let's let's put a little backstory uh, together here, Susan. So let's get started with uh, you sharing with us how your world collided with Caesar and also uh, with Kevin Huff. Yeah, you worked with Caesar and Kevin. You came across them. How did that come to be? Where were you at in your 
career at CenturyLink, and what were you out there looking for that brought your two worlds together? Well, I was in about, I would say the last nine years of um, my career there, and I had been asked to step in and help with an inside sales organization that was really struggling. And um, all my experience had been outside, very customer, I, I had the customer service organization for a while, but I had some good leadership skills. So I was asked to kind of step in and see if I could help with an inside sales organization. And within about six months, I would say, of leading that team, learning the culture, seeing a lot of mistakes, I was introduced to Kevin and Caesar and knew they were going to really help me turn that whole organization around and welcomed it with open arms. We made some incredible changes, grew the organization dramatically and had some amazing results. So what was actually in place before you went searching and researching for, you know, a, a, a process to bring into your team? What was, what was there? What did you actually inherit? Well, what I inherited is about a, it was about a two-year-old organization that had been, uh, there had been a thought by someone that we should have an inside sales organization and they should do outbound calling to try to retain and grow customers, but they staffed it entirely with inbound call center people, right? And they really struggled with really developing any kind of a good process. It was a lot of activity driven with no structure. So make so many calls every single day. And if you make those calls, you know, you should be successful. But these people had no idea what to do if they had someone answer the phone, how to connect with those people. And they were used to just really doing Doing a product vomit, right? It's like, I'm from CenturyLink and here's what I sell. And these people couldn't even say hello and they were barfing up every product that we had on the list. So product, they really struggled. Product vomit. I'm going to actually, I'm going to phrase that. We're going to coin that. <laughs> we'll call it the PV. Yeah, I'm like, should I say that? I don't know. Yeah, hey, it's, it's, it's acceptable. FCC allows that one. Um, so would you, so you heard me at the intro there. Would you classify that as like there was a training of some sort that was put out by HR or the previous sales organization. Would you kind of call it a, a coaching that was in place or just kind of like a training manual? There was no real coaching. There Nothing. was um, an inside training team that okay. had all come from sort of a small business inbound environment. Right. And they only knew how to train about product features, right? And what products do. But in terms of any kind of sales expertise, any kind of relationship building, how do you connect with a person, whether it's face-to-face -face or over the phone, none of that. They, and most of the people who were training had never sold. They just gave a lot of product training. So what was it that actually encouraged you to bring in a third party? You know, a lot of a lot of sales leaders are listening to this right now. And, you know, sales leaders are here, I believe, to, you know, hey, do these things really pay off? You know, I've done this before myself personally as a sales professional. Now I'm a sales leader. You know, am I going to get the value? Am I going to get the ROI? So what was it in your head? Because I'm sure you had some of the same things going, hey, I got I to gotta sell this to my boss. I've got to, you know, tell my organization, this is something I'm going to need to get my team from here up to here, you know, from level one to level two. So what was it that helped you in the decision process of getting a training or coaching organization from the outside to bring to the inside? Well, a couple things. First, I did have a good grip on the numbers and the 
investment we had made okay. in trying to put this organization together. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty easy sell to say, we don't want to waste that entire investment, right? And second, within, I would say, really the first couple months, just sitting a couple times and observing the people I, I had inherited as sales managers, because they were managers, and watching people sell, I could see that a lot of the folks who started those roles really wanted to be successful. They had no idea how. And just me sitting next to a couple of them and helping coach them through a call and turning that call into sale was like, oh, wait a minute, there's a different way to do this. And because I knew they were going to be hungry and receptive. And also, I have to say that one of my senior leaders had some experience with Kevin and Caesar. So it was a little bit easier to kind of have that conversation. And what we did was we took the most struggling team, the team that was honestly really underperforming. And and that says a lot because the whole organization was underperforming. Like if somebody was at 75%, they thought they were great. And so we have this culture of mediocrity. And so we just took this really weakest team and said, let's just try this. And after that first initial week, within two weeks, we were seeing with that team, especially it was like a 70% improvement. And this, is really, this is really interesting because uh, I'm one Caesar, I'm going to turn this to you. Whose idea was it to start with the bottom team rather than the top team? And was, was that your decision, Caesar? Uh, or was that, that was Susan's decision? Caesar, talk to us. We were in the infancy of our company at the time. So we took whatever we could take because today it, it completely goes counter. It's antithetical to our approach, right? We always say you want to stay away from moving the middle or what we call the mediocre middle. You know what? You want to invest in setting the stage for the top because now with experience and using history, stats, and facts, it definitely shows that you're going to get a more significant pop, right? And do what we call pulling people into training versus pushing training on people when you actually invest in the top performers. Those top performers do things instinctively and intuitively that our frameworks and our structure get them to do intentionally. And we'll get to this point in the conversation later on when we talk about what you you know you what you can communicate what you can replicate what you can duplicate uh, that cadence that that Susan came up with a few years ago or, or early in our engagement I should say but bottom line is no I, I I didn't come up with that Kevin didn't come up with that they said take it or leave it buddy you're gonna take start with a you know if you guys think you're that great then let's let's prove it with our worst performers so fortunately it worked out but we would have not we would not make that decision today right and the reason it worked out is because the top performers were like, wait a minute, right? I was kind of the king of the heap. Um, And all of a sudden, these guys have caught me in like two weeks. (laughs) So um, then then we didn't have to push them. We were able to pull them into training because they wanted to see what happened. And in fact, the top performers took it to the next level. I mean, they were, we saw the best results with those top performers because they saw how it could launch their careers, not just their inside sales experience, but um, take their sales experience you know, way beyond what they were doing. I don't think that they would tell you this today, but I bet back in the day, that top team didn't want to uh, tell you, tell you that they were looking at the rear view mirror, keeping an eye on what was happening back there. And it was almost like a subliminal pressure. Hey, you know what? You guys keep doing what you're doing. We're going to help these guys over here. You know, we're just going to help them out. No, No particular reason. You, you probably don't need this, but subliminally they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we don't, we don't need that. Yeah, we do. We do need that because they're watching them come up on their on their uh, on the backside. Okay, so. 
two or three things. And let, let me let me just step back here too. Ahead, also, Steve. by by saying yeah. that this is how you know that a program is has got integrity, right? I've got my integrity model that shows it's got to have the right type of structure, it's got to have scalability, sustainability, easy to communicate, verifiable, etc., agile, and agility is so important because if you have an organization where the culture is deeply embedded and you've got these top producers that perhaps are going to be resistant, but you do have through testing up front a middle that has not necessarily mediocre players, of course, there's going to be a percentage of those, but people that have the ability to challenge those top performers. The approach is agile enough to be able to start in the middle or at the top. Our preference, and this isn't a principle, it's always principles versus preferences. Our preference is to initiate with the top, get the top producing, because that's going to drive the immediate pop. That doesn't mean that we can't start with the middle. Right. Susan, can there with our organization, because it was mediocre across the board, any movement was good, right? Um, I, and I hate to say it that way, but really the top people were at 75%. So it's like just getting any movement was going to pay for itself. So it's going to be beneficial. Yeah, right? right, right. So Susan, share with us two or three things that Kevin and Caesar injected or implemented that have the biggest impact, the biggest, the biggest positive impact on your sales organization. Well, the first thing I would say is helping me shift the culture. What you get when you're with, with Caesar and Kevin is more than just let's sit down and do some sales training, right? It's let's really assess the culture, what's happening and help to, and we, I always call this, if you can't articulate what you've done, you can't replicate what you've done. So then I can't coach and help replicate it anywhere else. And so what we first did is really assess what was happening, what this culture was. It was a culture of mediocrity. How do we move it to a culture of overachieving by every measure? And we really got my leadership team bought into that, right? Because it's kind of hard to uh, convince a bunch of individual contributors that they can change a culture, but you can do that with your leadership team. And then we really focused on their coaching style and how they coached and did they even coach or did they just make sure people were making 30 calls a day? So I would say we used the approach called the real ABCs. And by using that, it gave everyone a common language. So real was, um, we used R and said, what's your role? So if you were a sales person, uh, we called, we used sales professional for our term because inside salespeople had this idea that they were just supposed to find leads for outside sales or they were just supposed to sit around and answer the phone when it happened to ring. They did not consider themselves sales professionals. So we did really choose that word to help them understand that they were just the exact same as everyone outside, but they were doing it from inside. So we got that kind of shift, right? Then A for activity. For ABCs, we used activities with results. So I don't want you making 30 calls if all you're really doing is calling somebody's voicemail and you don't even know how you're <laughs> going to leave that message, right? Yeah. Um, we we want an activity that's actually going to have a result. And people just that resonated with people. It was like, oh, so you don't want me just dialing a number, right? B, for B, we wanted it to be a business-minded call. We didn't want them uh, calling because they needed to make 30 calls. We wanted them calling with business intent. I'm going to have a business conversation with this person. And then C was, is it client-focused? Is this conversation you're having about them or is it about you and our company? And, and saying real ABCs and using that term, honestly, you could walk the entire organization and people 
people would just say, this is the real ABCs. And they didn't mean only closers get copy, right? They meant this is, and not always be closing. This meant we are, we're only going to do an activity if we know it's going to drive a result. Everything we do is going to be focused on the business and on the customer. So that I would say were the first things that really helped us move the organization forward. Caesar, you want to add to that? Going back to one of the questions that you asked up front around sales training versus sales coaching and some of the issues, the difference between sales training and sales coaching and how methodologies are introduced into a business, a lot of it is product training or product focused. And so one of the things that we consistently say or you'll hear us say is, it's not about what's on your shelf, it's about what's on your customer's shelf. And when you're just driving this activity model, just smiling and dialing, showing up and throwing up, all the things that we've just talked about, that's what you get. You get people just focusing in on the training that they got, which is generally centered around products, not centered around business discussions, business conversations, really having empathy for what is on their customer's shelf and figuring out how do my services, how do my solutions help to accelerate the process of getting their solutions and services or products off of their shelf. And that's really the pivot that was made with the real ABCs. It's getting their focus away from themselves and more on their customer. Exactly. So that's, that's really good. I like that. Susan, there's a lot of, again, leaders. For the leaders listening to this episode, right now, let's think of those that are like, I like this. I want to do this. I want to take this idea and run with it. Let's just take current day. Here we are. We're in the middle of July, middle of a... Last time I checked, there's a pandemic happening happening outside. Um, and what's the common thing that you're hearing for, uh, from sales leaders that want to want to add a tool, add a, add some muscle to their team. No budget. Everything's moving slow. Um, we're going through the motions in slow motion. We've never been here before. Now think about that last one. We've never been here before. What was it that you took upstairs to your executive leadership team to try to get the the go-ahead, the, the green flag, the two thumbs up, what was it that you were able to present them with for them to give you the, the go-ahead, the go-forward? And, and try to tie that if you can. Try to tie that into, you know, put yourself uh, in that position today, Susan. You're trying to convince a sales organization, you need this. Because if you don't do this, fill in the blank. Right. Well, so to be fair, we started with that one team and that it was a smaller investment. And I was able to say, if we turn this around, let's take it the next step. But once we really within two weeks, we had dramatic changes with that one team. And we did sit down as a group and wrote a business model that projected numbers, because that's what's going to speak to the leadership team, right? If you invest this much, then we are saying you're going to have this kind of a return. And we really focused on the stats and facts and on the numbers. It wasn't so much to have a conversation with my leadership team around, if you do this, our people are going to be able to establish trust with their customers quicker and they're going to turn the sales around faster. That's just like, it's so true, but it doesn't close the sale for getting money out of the budget to invest in this, right? So what we showed was if you just take this 50% improvement of this one team and let's, we're just going to project a 20, I think we went in with a 23% improvement month over month. And then we said by the end of the quarter, it would be up over 32%. And then we just did that through the year and we left it at 32%, which by the way, we exceeded, but 
Those numbers, we could show the dollars, we could show the cost per sale, we could show that the margins were better, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll try it. But it was straight numbers, and, and I'm sitting with the finance guys. The sales leaders had trust in me that I was a strong sales leader, but you have to sell the finance guy that this budget investment's worth it. I like what you just said. Uh, the trust was there, so you had a reputation. That's good, and you put your reputation on the line. Yeah. Number two, I think I heard it. <laughs> Let me just ask the question. This was not not a here today, gone tomorrow. This was not a two-day training. This was not a just for this week. This was not a, hey, we're going to do this on Tuesday and Thursday, and then we're going to quiz you at the end of the month. And then at the end of the quarter, we're going to go ahead and measure the KPIs, and we're going to talk about this at the end of each month for the next quarter. Yeah. Sounds to me, you had the C word, the continuous coaching happening within your system? It was constant. And I had to, as a leader, I would tell any leader, nothing works, whether it's sales training, sales coaching, whatever word you want to use, unless you are personally committed to making it work and you're going to live it and eat it and breathe it. And that means you have to really want to see a change in your results. It can't be, this is like a stop on my career path and I'm going to run in and do sales for a little while. And, and then I'll, you know, check that box off. You have to be truly committed to developing the people in your organization and more importantly, to taking those results to that next level. And it's not a two day training. You don't send people to training and say, come out, I invested in you. You're going to be successful. I mean, I literally spent time with Kevin and Caesar while um, we were in the training. I sat through the complete training for the first week to see how my people responded to it, what they took away, and to make sure I had the language. So when they walked out, I was using the exact same words, the same terms. So we all resonated with a common language throughout the whole entire organization. And I didn't just do it with that first team. I sat through the first day of every single training of any new class that went through it. And I was there at the end as well. And then even when we started recruiting and hiring new sales classes, I was there every day when new hires came in to explain how important this was to our culture and to their success. So you have to be truly, truly committed and the results come, but you got to be there. Yeah. Let me, let me just add to that real quick. One of the things that, one of the things that was a non-negotiable was based on a principle. We, we talked about principles versus preferences. It's a preference whether you want to start at the top versus where you, whether you want to start in the middle. We're, we're, we're fine with either way because we know and we're confident in the framework and the approach that we've studied and we've researched. It's going to have an impact. We believe that it's going to have a bigger impact when you start with the top, but sometimes circumstances and conditions dictate that you start with the middle, as was the case here. That's a preference. But a principle that we will not deviate from is that high-performing teams have to operate from the same playbook, generate, you know, a common game plan and have the right people in the right roles. And so if you're you're saying you're going to be another principle that I talk about often on the goal coach side is the reason why people achieve what matters most is threefold. They're sold out to the cause, they're sold out to the cost, and they're willing to get coaching and correction. And so once you're sold out, you've practiced discernment, you say this is the direction that we want to go and you're sold out, then that means that everyone that is a stakeholder towards that destination better understand that playbook. That is a non-negotiable. And I want to, again, just applaud, Susan, your our engagement for all those years. You're 100% correct. You were the 
number one proponent that was so important modeling, we're doing this, we're running this playbook, we're sold out to it, and we're invested in it. And that is such an important ingredient because so often you see leaders that say, well, I want to get training for my folks. Here's the issue. Leaders have been indoctrinated into common sales training, not sales coaching or sales coaching culture. Common sales training is all about informing. It's information. If you look at our blueprint, it's fourfold. It's inform, transform, conform, and then hold them accountable, hold them accountable to perform. That's the difference between what we do versus a lot of the methodologies out there and why a lot of sales leaders are like, yeah, you inform my people on the latest and greatest stuff and I'll watch from the sidelines. I don't really need to know this playbook. It's very different when you're work. holding everyone accountable to be transformed, right? No, yeah. that, does, that doesn't work. I mean, Susan, you hit it right on the head. You know, you were, uh, you're not just talking about it, you're being about it and you're involved. I love that. I think of, um, uh, organizations I've been a part of, and it's sad. Some of these sales leaders out there, they don't realize that they're reps. They're they're eating up everything you give them when you give them the gold, and the gold is the experiences you've had. And if there's no sales coaching, there's no sales training in in place. Now, forget about the you know, oh, we have an enablement program. Yeah, the enablement program is watch these videos once a month, and we'll talk about it at the next all hands meeting. No, it doesn't work. Um, Susan. You had something in place that was continuous. How long did that relationship, how long did you have Caesar and Kevin on board? Well, from, I think, 08 until 2011. So we... Let, let me take a step back. Had, let me take a step back. It was actually I mean, 2016. I mean, 2016. Sorry, <laughs> what am I saying? Yes, 2011 is when we expanded it. Please, what am I thinking? We, to 08 to 11, and then in 2011, I became the vice president of sales nationally. And then we took it across the nation. Okay, um, hold on, so, hold on, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm connecting some dots here. What was your title back in 08? I was the director of sales for the Colorado organization. Interesting, and your title in 16 was? Uh, when I left, it was uh, executive vice president of sales for all inside sales national. So is it fair to, and I'm not buying you lunch today, but I will buy you lunch <laughs> when I'm going through Wheat, wheat Ridge? Yeah, yes, Wheat Ridge. Yeah. Is it fair to say that you're company, not a little company, big company, recognized you brought something in that worked. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And why, and why did, uh, why did the relationship end? Well, I'll tell you, and you know, I don't want this to sound petty because it isn't. Uh, we really competed with outside sales, right? They were very threatened by the success of the inside sales organization. They thought inside sales should be a lead generator for them. They felt like anything we found or stumbled upon that was maybe more than $5,000 in sales should be handed to them on a silver platter. They did not understand. They actually were still calling us a call center. They really struggled changing their terminology and they were incredibly threatened. And so the thought was it was just after another merger. And, and by the way, we live, I lived through like five, but in that merger, the leaders at the time thought inside sales should be a lead generator for outside sales. And so they took my organization actually and split it across five outside sales leaders. Needless to say, it did fail and they're back together as one organization. <laughs> but the thought was they felt we had it backwards because inside sales, number one, I just looked at the numbers yesterday. We outperformed outside sales. We had a, a lower cost per sale. 
than outside sales. We, every single measure, our numbers were better because we were getting more done. You don't need to be in your car driving for 15 minutes in traffic to meet with someone for 15 minutes who actually is upset that you just interrupted their day, right? right? Nobody has time to be taken to lunch anymore or going golfing. And right now in the middle of this pandemic, I am just laughing. The most successful teams are inside sales. Everybody's an inside sales rep. Everybody, Everybody is inside sales now, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I've been beaming. I'm, I'm smiling like they had this huge smile at the whole time you've been talking because A, I've been exactly where you've been listening to executive leaders that are running outside teams, complaining, feeling threatened what I'm doing when they don't recognize that I'm complimenting what they're doing. And there's no reason why the enterprise sales rep needs to come down underneath a certain bar and get quote unquote face hits. No, if you're, if your enterprise guy does not have the skill set to get the home runs and has to get base hits, we got a problem. I've got the base hits taken care of. You go get the home runs, right? And that's a compliment if you have the right people in the right place. So I love what you're saying. It's so true. And, you know, I asked that question, why did it end? It's because your organization internally changed. And, you know, to this day, and, and you're, you're obviously no longer there either. That probably has a little bit to do with it as well. That's a really interesting uh, uh, color. Caesar, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I do. Look, here's the thing. Every single metric did show that we were outperforming the outside sales organization. But I think the really cool thing about that entire period of time is that Susan's organization became a hotbed for recruitment, not just for sales professionals that ultimately wanted to go out and do the outside sales role, whether it was on a national sales level, major account sales, GovEd, but it also became a hotbed of recruitment for sales leaders because they knew that they were being trained properly. They were being, the the stage was being set for them to overperform. We changed the culture by changing the directive, changing the destination. It was no longer about how do you get to the top of the leaderboard? It was about how do you get to the top of your game? And so people weren't sitting there clamoring to be the best of the worst, right? At 70% attainment. They were now looking at how do I get to 400, 500% of plan? And that is a fundamental shift in the way that people think. And so when I look at that particular period of time, I think the thing that I'm most proud of to have worked with Susan was that we allowed for a lot of people to really advance in their careers. And sure, it's, it's like going back to Moneyball. I, I forget uh, the exact line, but it was the first ones through the door. They're always going to get their nose bloodied. And for seven years, you know, 33% compound annual growth rate year over year over year over year. But we all walked away and it was a mutually beneficial discussion when myself, Susan and Kevin sat down in early 2016 and said, this is what's happening. You know, it's, it's now time to exit. I was looking at getting off the road. Susan, I think you were looking at really spending more time with family, right? Because of personal, right? Right. I had a special needs son that, you know, I was traveling all the time and I wanted to spend more time with him. There was some health issues in our family that the timing just was perfect. But I have to say, Caesar, I'm so glad you said that because in 2015, that final sort of, you know, council of leaders or, you know, the big trip of the year, right, where we're recognizing the top 1% of our performers, my husband and I are sitting at the table and I have just recognized 15 of my top performers. And now they're only taking 1% of the entire 
entire company and 15 of my guys, right, are on the stage and we're acknowledging them. And then I sat back down and started counting for all of my peers, the people who were on that stage who came from my organization. There were 35 people that came from my organization that had recruited from my group and who were being honored as being top performers in our company. So, you know, you just, we know that we set the groundwork for these people to have unbelievable careers. And they were just outside salespeople couldn't wait to recruit my performers because they knew we had the discipline and a process that could be repeated. You know, they could articulate what they were doing and repeat it over and over and over again. And so we had great success. Well, there's no better reward for you than what you just described to see your group rise up and move on, hopefully within the same walls. I, I always say that every organization I'm at, is my job is to help you get your next job, preferably here, but at another level, whether it's making more money, having that title, having that role that you want. Tell me what it is. Let me help you get there. And that is the reward for you. Would you not agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, and, more and other, the, the, the other byproduct that was a reward for us as a company is that people didn't stay within the walls and they went outside and then uh, we would get business that way. It was always great when we'd ask Susan for a reference, she's like, I'm not going to give him a reference because I want you all to myself. And that's probably the best reference that we could get. But it was uh, it was great to see people move on to other organizations and really take a hold of this methodology and apply it wherever they went. And I, we still hear now, you know, several years later, like I, I exited the business as a coaching consultant for about three and a half years and, and recently came back. And a, a lot of the people that we're talking to came from the seven year engagement that we had with you. Right. So right. it's, it's just fantastic. And they, they really, again, are so thankful for the training and the development, having the stage set for them to really get to the top of their game, which obviously they'll never hit, but at least they're getting to the top of the game within their industry. And it's that personal development. It's not just going to learn about a product. Yep. It is learning how to be successful, not just in that sales role, but anywhere, mm-hmm. right? And having the confidence you can do it. So. Well, look, here, here's, the, here's the interesting thing, right? We always told the sales leaders, if you're not intimately aware and involved with what your players' personal goals and objectives are, then you're modeling the absolute wrong behavior for them in terms of what they should be intimately aware of when it comes to their clients. If all you care about is closing a deal versus really understanding how the solutions that are derived or make up that deal are going to push products and help them reach their goals and objectives, then you're in the wrong role. Making sure that they actually look outside of their own personal objectives and looked at what what is this individual contributor on my team? What do they want? And I remember sitting down with some of these leaders and saying, do you know what their top goals and objectives are? Do you do you know, like, does this person want to buy a house? Does this person want to get married? Does this person want to start this side business? Whatever it might be, are you helping them to connect the dots with what they're able to drive in terms of compensation and maxing their comp plan to be able to get there? And if you're not, you're modeling the absolute wrong behavior. So check this out, Caesar, Susan. Back in school, they never taught you how to make money. In sales, when you go work for a company, whether it's a large company, uh, technology, telecom, whatever, or a small company, 10 individuals to 500 individuals selling, they don't really have a continuous way of teaching you how to sell. But it's like there's nothing there. So here's a question for you, Susan. True or false? Sales coaching is a key component to building culture in a sales organization. True. <laughs> right? I mean, because if I'm your sales rep, Susan, you're my boss, and it's like, what do you got? Like, give me something. 
Reps love that. It's like, hey. Right. right? First off, we would encourage people to be curious. Um, If you're a sales leader, be curious about the people that are on your team, right? Um, Show interest in them. If you're a sales professional, be curious about how did this company even start? The more you know about and let them talk about their business, then the more you know how to help them take that business to the next level, right? And then we also used to say every encounter you have with your individual contributor, they either need to walk away having learned something like a new skill or way to move a deal forward, or you helped them move a deal forward or close it so that they felt their time with you was valuable. And the coaching model that we had through Caesar and Kevin allowed us to have that. I mean, you were constantly coaching. It wasn't a, uh, this is all directive. This is, let's coach you through that. Okay, you're coming to me with an issue. I'm not just going to fix it for you. Let's talk through what we can do next based on what you've learned and what our playbook is. So last question we have for you, Susan. Yeah. And this is, uh, I want you to think about it for a second. Okay. Um, if you were going to come out of retirement <laughs> and lead a team of 100 to 200, two, one to, let's just call it 200, 200 sales representatives of all different shapes and sizes, right? Some sales development reps, some inside sales reps, uh, maybe some uh, channel sales reps, so a little variety of everything, 200 of them. When would you recommend to those listeners out there, those sales leaders out there, when should they introduce playbooks for results? When should they introduce them to their ELT, to their executive leadership team? Should they do it at the interview stage, like when they're interviewing for the job? When they say, okay, Susan, what would you do if we hired you here at ABC? Is it at that stage? Is it after you've been hired and you've been on board for one to three months? What do you think is the right formula or the right time? Because I think timing is a real important thing. There's people here that have had organizations that have far exceeded goals, and right now they're slumping. There's some that are out there that they're barely going to get to their number. They're worried about it because of the outside factor, the obvious thing that's happening right now in our world. Um, And then there's others that are out there. They're like, you know what? If I don't get my number, my job's on the line. I've got to do something. I got to shake the tree. So like, what, what is the right time? If, If that is even a fair question to ask. Well, I think it's totally a fair question to ask. And I personally, if I was to come out of retirement, I'd be talking about this process from the interview at the time of the interview. Because I would, because of my experience, set that up from day one, because I'm not going to go into an organization unless I know I can bring the tools to help change it. So for me personally, coming out of retirement, it would be a deal breaker, right? Um, If I couldn't take a process like this and use it immediately, because um, I know it works and I get, I'm at that place in my life. I can make that kind of choice, right? (laughs) So I'm only going to do it, right? If it works. And she's not getting paid to say that, folks, I promise. I know, absolutely not. But I would tell you when I think through all the changes, I mean, yes, we're in this crazy time that, you know, the U.S. and the world has never been in before. But let's also face it, when you live in corporate America or whether whether you're an entrepreneur starting a sales organization, that day is every day. Yeah. Every day is a day that's different than any day that you've ever had before in your life, right? And you have to stay focused on that goal. If you're starting a sales organization with five sales professionals or 500 sales professionals, you need to be committed to what those results are that you want. And you want to pull the very best support in to help you get there. 
And you don't get that and you don't know it's there from an interview with somebody who maybe had success selling at one point in their career. So you need to bring in a tried and true organization that's going to help you lead your culture to change, lead everyone to the top of their game, not just give sales training for two days. Caesar, so same question. That's, that's great. Yep, I love it. Thank you, Susan. Caesar, same question for you. Yeah, so I think going back to what Susan was saying in terms of she has the experience, she has the results, she's got a lot of confidence, she's got a season in her life right now where she can afford to basically say, this is a deal breaker. A lot of people don't find themselves in that particular condition or circumstance. But here's the thing, regardless of whether their conditions and circumstances are similar or completely opposite of Susan's, you bring in something because you know it's going to work and it's proven. And it doesn't matter what the conditions or circumstances are. We started the engagement during the worst recession since the Great Depression. And unlike a lot of counterparts, we continue to grow the business at a clip that was far surpassing not just the other internal organizations at our company, but other organizations in the industry. 32% compound annual growth rate for seven years during the middle of the worst recession since the Great Depression was unheard of. So when do you bring it in? You bring it in as soon as you can because you know that it's proven. You know that history, stats, and facts tell you that this is what the top professionals, top sales leaders across history have done. Once you verify that and you're satisfied and you can build a business case, you bring it in as soon as you can. And then the bigger part is now going to be how do you shift your culture? And this is a lot of what we worked on right up front. We spent countless hours talking about the culture, whether it was that little book on culture shift. I remember you and I had a discussion on it like one Thursday or Friday afternoon. And that afternoon, you're ordering boxes of these books, not just for your leaders, but for other leaders across the organization. And it became an embedded, you know, little handbook in terms of how to shift the culture. And one of the things that came from that book was expect casualties and beware of disloyalty. Those are two important principles because there was going to be a lot of disloyalty. People didn't want to get out of their comfort zone. They didn't want change. But if you're, if you're committed to the cause, then you have to make sure that you don't just uh, have casualties. Because you don't care, you have casualties because there's no other there's no other route, right? We would do triage quite a bit. We'd say, here are the guys that have the superficial wounds. Here are the people. No matter how much we work on them, they just don't have the ability. They don't have that natural curiosity. They don't have the empathy. They don't have the critical thinking skills. And we would validate those. We wouldn't just nilly willy say, okay, they're gone because we don't like them. We don't think they're ever going to make it. There was an objective approach to making sure that they they could actually operate off of the same playbook. And then everyone moved in that direction. It's a long answer really to, to basically say when you know you've got something that is a methodology that has been proven across history through stats and facts and other top performers using it instinctively and intuitively, you want to introduce it as soon as possible. Words of wise from the wise man himself, Mr. Caesar Cavanaugh. Good stuff, Caesar. Thank you so much for helping me navigate through this journey today. And we got 90 seconds left on the play clock. So I just want to say, Susan, it was an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show today. I hope you had fun. I had a blast. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. We definitely have to have you back on the show again. Caesar. I hope you had fun and and enjoyed and uh, want to get Susan back on the show. We got to do this again. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. I'm not the most animated person, but uh, this is my, I had a lot of fun face. (laughs) 
and for those of you that can't see Caesar, he's actually smiling right now. Yeah. And we hope you all we hope you all enjoyed the discussion today and were able to get a grip on what Caesar and I and Susan were able to dish out right here on getting a grip on growing your business. Stay tuned as we drop new episodes every Thursday. For more information, check us out on PB4R. That's PB4R.com. This is where you can find an archive of videos, podcasts, and other great tools to help you stay on top of your game. Look for us on iTunes, Spotify, our iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. Please just do us three things. A favor, subscribe, rate, and review. All good things must come to an end, and that includes our show for today. Thank you so much for lending us your ears right here on Getting a Grip on Growing Your Business. My name is EP, reminding you all, don't just do it, crush it. Thanks for listening to the Playbook for Results podcast. For more information on virtual content and coaching designed to grow your business, please visit the Playbook for Results website at pb4r.com. You can follow Playbook for Results on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook just by searching for Playbook for Results or hashtag pb4r. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Getting a Grip on Growing Your Business with your Playbook for Results coaches your virtual coaching and value creation specialists.